Welcome to Worldwide Wonderful Women, a podcast for your living in divine power when yours is diminished. A podcast where encouragers receive encouragement. We understand these are hard times. You may find that it is becoming more of a challenge for you to remain strong as you give of yourself continuously. That's why this is the place to join other women globally who face the same challenges as you. So join us regularly to receive biblical insight not to faint, but to stand strong. This is the podcast to be rejuvenated and revitalized. Now, let's join our host, Paula Harris. Hello, and welcome to episode number 296 of Worldwide Wonderful Women. And the title of this episode is Liberty in Our Lord, Part 4. Out of my concern, again, for all of us as believers, to have the ability to walk in love, harmony, and oneness of spirit, as our Lord Jesus commanded, I've been expounding on Romans chapter 14 this month. I've been going through this chapter verse by verse just to keep the entire thought presented in these passages so you wouldn't think I'm just throwing my thoughts or my opinions upon you. Christians are different. We are all growing at different levels of spiritual maturity at different times. We also have diverse backgrounds that influence our attitudes and our practices. The wisdom and instruction given in this chapter will help us to know how to show love to one another when we don't have the same convictions on certain things. So far this month, we may have been called on the carpet to evaluate our attitudes and actions toward other Christians who hold different convictions from our own. In other words, how are we viewing them? But today, continuing what I started last week, we're going to continue to flip the coin and look at the other side of evaluating the impact of our own convictions and actions on other Christians. So in other words, how are they viewing us? And most of all, are we causing them to sin by how we practice our own freedom? Please go back to the previous weeks if you have not, so that all of what I'm sharing today is going to make sense. Today, we're going to look at verses 14 to 18. So let's begin. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 14 states, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, To him, it is unclean. Okay, what is this saying? Paul knew, and we know, that no foods are ceremonially unclean any longer, as they were for a Jew living under the law of Moses. Now, unclean means common, and it refers to things that were prohibited by the Jewish ceremonial law. So, unclean denotes ritual impurity. Now, Paul understands and he wishes that all the Christians in Rome would understand that Christ's coming has meant that the Jewish laws about ritual purity no longer apply. 
but he recognizes that the Jewish Christians may have difficulty in letting go or discharging a lifetime of teaching and habit. And so he reminds the strong that if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it is unclean. When Paul says here that there is nothing unclean of itself, we must realize that he's speaking only of these gray areas. There's plenty of things in life that are unclean, such as pornography and all types of sexual sin, of dirty jokes and movies, and every form of immorality. We have to take Paul's statements and understand them in light of this context in Romans 14. So Christians do not contact ceremonial defilement by eating foods which the law of Moses branded unclean or by upholding certain days on a calendar. Remember, if you've been with us all month, those were the two arguments. It was over the food and over certain days being observed. Now, in this passage, when it says to him, to him is a reference to the weak brother who thinks it is wrong for him to eat certain foods. For example, pork, okay? To him, it would be wrong because of the law of Moses. Well, for him to eat would be to violate his God-given conscience. If anyone considers an activity to be unlawful or a sin, then it is wrong for that person to engage or partake in that activity. Verse 23 of this same chapter gives us more insight. It says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. All right, look at verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. The question comes, when I sit down to eat with a weak brother, should I insist on my legitimate right to eat certain foods, even if I know he thinks it's wrong? Well, if I do, I'm not acting in love because love thinks of others and not of self. This is what this passage is telling us. Love relinquishes its legitimate rights in order to promote the welfare of another brother or sister. A dish of food isn't as important as the spiritual well-being of one for whom Christ died. And yet, if I selfishly parade my rights in any of these matters that are controversial or gray areas, I can do irreparable damage in the like of a weaker brother or sister. It isn't worth it when you remember that their soul was redeemed at such a high cost. The cost, which was the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So whether we're strong and insensitive to others, or weak and petty about trivial rules, we can become the reason that fellow believers fall into sin. And Paul is urging us not to cause these type of problems for others. When it says here, do not destroy the word destroy is a strong one, which often means eternal ruin. Well, here, because we're talking to believers, it may refer to temporal ruin. 
So a Christian forced to act contrary to his conscience, even though more strict than necessary, may find himself ruined by his wounded conscience. It is referring here to causing spiritual damage to another believer. If eating a certain food destroys a weaker brother, then the stronger believer should not eat it. This goes back to a person having strong convictions and not violating his or her own conscience and allowing something they think of as sin to be done in his or her life. This really requires maturity by both parties, the weaker to not violate his or her conscience and the stronger to refrain from putting a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of the weaker brother or sister and affecting his or her spiritual walk in a negative way. Neither should allow sin to enter in. The stronger should clearly be concerned about the conscience of the weak believer being violated if he or she gives in to pressure to eat food that he or she believes is unclean. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1, it states, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. Believers must not insist on their liberty in the presence of those whose consciences would be offended. To do so is not to walk in love under the lordship of Jesus Christ. To the strong in faith, Paul is admonishing, destroy not him with thy meat or with thy food for whom Christ died. If we are to live a life of consideration for our neighbor, then we must learn that even though there are things that we feel we can biblically do, many of those same things for the sake of others, we should not do. Paul reminds us that eating without concern for its effect on the weaker believer is a violation of Christ's command to love one another. Now, verse 16 says, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So the principle here is that we should not allow these secondary things, which are permissible at times in themselves, to give an occasion to others to condemn us for our looseness or our lack of love. It would be like sacrificing our good name for a bowl of food. Think about it now with the activities that you allow. Do not cause your freedom, which is a good thing, to be despised because of the way in which you use it. The position of the strong might be right and good, but we are advised here to not let what is good become the object of misunderstanding or ridicule. Verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What really counts in the kingdom of God is not dietary regulations or spiritual days. You may say, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the area or the domain where God is acknowledged as supreme ruler. Every kingdom has a king. God is king. He is to be our king above all kings and rulers of this earth. We're to take our orders first from him, not earthly authorities. So the kingdom of God does not consist of external things in observing 
or not observing days, eating or not eating certain foods, or any other secondary issues of religious debates. But the kingdom of God exists in spiritual realities like righteousness. And when we say righteousness, we're talking about uprightness in our daily walk. And then peace. We're talking about perfect peace with God and a consistent attempt to be at peace with others. And then joy. This joy is produced by an overflowing of the Holy Spirit in one's life. And joy, as we know, is a fruit of the Spirit, as explained in the book of Galatians. So the kingdom of God is not these external things. The kingdom of God is spiritual realities. The subjects of the kingdom, or us as believers, are not intended to be food for holiday seekers. Our lives should be characterized by righteous living, by dispositions of peace and harmony, and by radiating joy that's produced by the Holy Spirit. Those of us who understand these spiritual realities of the kingdom will not choose the brief joy of satisfying selfish desires over the spiritual joy of putting aside those desires for the sake of others. All right, our last verse, verse 18. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by man. Now, when it says acceptable to God, it's because our service to Christ is rooted in righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's approved by men, which is the opposite of being spoken of as evil by men, as stated in verse 16. It isn't what a man eats or doesn't eat that matters. It is a holy life that wins God honor and man's approval. Those who put the emphasis on righteousness, peace, and joy serve Christ by obeying his teaching. I know I've said a lot, but in closing, how should a Christian whose convictions allow him to do certain things respond to another Christian whose conscience is against doing such things? In Christian love, he ought to forego or let go of his liberty in Christ to avoid being a spiritual hindrance to his brother or sister in Christ. If he persists in exercising his liberty, so that his brother or sister is distressed or grieved or hurt, then this scripture is concluding then that that Christian who's exercising his liberty is no longer acting or walking in love. Such persistence could even cause the spiritual destruction of another believer for whom Christ died. For instance, if you feel the freedom to walk in your house, stroll in your backyard, or go in your pool or jacuzzi naked, then what can I say? But you need to refrain from exercising that freedom if you choose to come to my house and be in my backyard. Otherwise, you will offend me and cause me to stumble, and therefore you will not be walking in the love of God. Now, I know that's a crazy example. But I'm just trying to give you an example so that you could see some things that you think are petty can be very, very offensive to someone else as if you were walking around naked. Furthermore, your persisting in your freedom also could result in your Christian freedom or liberty being considered as evil or being blasphemed or spoken of negatively by others. 
Such things really shouldn't happen. After all, food or days or any other gray areas not defined as sin in God's word are not to take priority over living our life in accordance with the kingdom of God. Remember what I said, the kingdom acknowledges God as king or ruler of our life. Therefore, whatever he says, we should obey and do. He is the king. He is the Lord. And as we obey him, we'll find ourselves walking in his righteousness or upright living, peace, which is peace with God and others, and joy, which is the overflowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are what is essential for Christian fellowship and harmony. And so a concerned believer should insist on right conduct, harmony, and joy rather than forcing his own lifestyle or his own freedom on others. As a result, this verse says that the Christian who serves, you see that word serves or keeps on serving as a servant of the king, not one who feels he should be served by others because they're doing his will. In this way, the scripture says, in Christian love, pursuing righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, it ends up being pleasing to God and approved by men in that they're not going to speak evil of you as in verse 16. And so therefore God is glorified by your behavior. Be mindful that the reason for the strong to refrain from flaunting their freedom is that such behavior by causing distress and disunity within the community of believers, it discredits the gospel before unbelievers. And so unbelievers seeing in the church disputes about eating and drinking or other issues, and they don't see those in the church walking in righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Spirit will then view the gospel as not a good thing. And so the strong, therefore, should serve Christ by pursuing righteousness, peace, and joy, and avoiding behavior that would decrease those qualities within the church. And in doing so, they'll be both pleasing to God and approved of men. I also want to insert here something that I know that we're all aware of. We need to recognize the damage to our witness as the body of Christ and to the gospel message before unbelievers by putting political preference over obeying our King's instruction, our God, here in the chapter of Romans 14. And what I'm making reference to is something as little as the item of a face mask. Some within the body of Christ have allowed earthly governments to override heavenly instruction. May we all take a moment right now to repent over allowing such division and lack of love to be displayed before unbelievers and for not living out this scripture as commanded by our Lord and King. Let us stop being self-centered and be other-centered as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who didn't think it robbery to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. And none of us have been put to death, buried, died, or resurrected by putting a mask on or taking it off. May we die daily by taking up our crosses, and living righteously, walking in peace with all men, and by displaying joy, which is overflowing from being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
rather than displaying hate and anger, being filled with evil, which is overflowing in our flesh. I want to share 1 Corinthians 10 verses 23 to 33, which repeat the same instruction. It says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol, don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for another person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the good food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So here, what's going on is that you have two believers, they're invited to a dinner, and then it's told, go to the dinner, just eat what's put before you without asking questions. But if you're made aware that that meat was offered to an idol, and there's another brother or sister there who has a problem with that, then you shouldn't eat. The scripture says here, for why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? And you might be feeling that right now. You might be saying, wait a minute, I hear what you're saying, but why should my freedom be limited by someone else who's weak? It says, if I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? <laughs> and you might be saying, wait a minute, Paula, we wouldn't be able to exercise any freedom if we obey this scripture. Who is your Lord? Who is your King? It goes on here and it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. So the answer, when you're saying, why should I allow this to happen to me? I want to exercise my freedom. I want to not wear my mask. I don't want to do this. Whatever. Look, mask wearing, eating, drinking, whatever you do, it says here in the scripture. Everything that you do should be for God himself and for the kingdom of God and mainly what is best for others so that they may be saved. If you don't care about the kingdom of God, you don't care about what your king instructs you, you don't care about others being saved, and go on. Have your way. Do your will. And I know that sounds hard. These are not my words. These are the King of King, Lord of Lords words who we're going to stand before and give an account of how we have lived, whether for ourselves or for the kingdom of God and the salvation of others. Therefore, we're to pursue a lifestyle which will move toward building the common bond of faith and unity between the weak and the strong, between all believers. The basis of our fellowship is not outside matters of eating or drinking, but inward realities that flow out of the salvation which we all enjoy in Christ. So let us not be selfish in exercising our freedom, but be more considerate of others. Freely exercise your freedom in private or when you know it's not going to harm another in their spiritual walk. But when you're made aware 
that it's going to harm another believer's walk in Christ. Don't exercise your freedom in that situation. It will not please God, nor will it please or benefit others with seeing the gospel message lived out in such a way. We want to obey our God and our King. We want the kingdom of God to go forth on the earth, and we want lives to be affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation may come to all people. And if it causes us some inconvenience here and there, come on, isn't it worth it? So go before our Lord and ask him to reveal to you how you have been living out these scriptures right here in Romans 14. He'll instruct you, he'll guide you, and if there needs to be repentance, then please ask the Lord to help you to walk in a new way and a new direction that will glorify him. We'll be here next week for the last part of this topic. And smile, Jesus loves you. Thank you for listening to Worldwide Wonderful Women. We trust you enjoyed the program. Please take a moment to leave us a good rating and review on iTunes to help us continually encourage others around the globe. We also invite you to go to TWMforJesus.org. That's T-W-M, like in Mary, F-O-R-J-E-S-U-S dot O-R-G to download your free gift and see other resources to help you live in divine power. And oh, don't forget to tell your friends. Until next time, be strong and of good courage.